The Stratford Slice is produced using Anchor, Spotify's free podcasting platform, the easiest way to create, distribute, and monetize your show. Say it all with Anchor. This podcast is produced by Ballinran Entertainment, Southwestern Ontario's number one film, television, and digital media studio, illuminating extraordinary stories since 1995. Visit us at ballinran.com. The Stratford Slice is sponsored in part by Dancing Waters Boutique, treasures from Asia in the heart of downtown Stratford. Visit them at 11 York Street or dancingwatersboutique.com. And a special shout-out to Vista Radio and our friends at mystratfordnow.com for hosting the podcast, which is also available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And be sure to follow us on Instagram, at the Stratford Slice. Hello, it's Craig Thompson, and this is the Stratford Slice. Today, a slice of chocolate. The Candyman is in the house. My guest today is Rio Thompson, whose name uh, adorns a business, but it is also his own name. Rio Thompson, welcome to the Stratford Slice. Thank you very much, Craig, for having me. Uh, we should start off the top that uh, you are not involved in the business that bears your name anymore. No. We sold our business at the end of December 2002, and we've never looked back. What's it like having uh, a name so famous associated with chocolate that's also your name? You must be a well-known personality wherever you go. I am. It seems that wherever I go, as soon as they read my name, they say, are you the famous candy man from Stratford, Ontario? And I answer yes very sheepishly. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you and I are no relation. Uh, my name is Thompson. Your name is Thompson. We both spell it with a P. Uh, we're the wet Thompsons, as some people joke. Um, but whenever I uh, go elsewhere and say I'm a Thompson from Stratford, they say, oh, are you part of the, uh, the chocolate family? And I, I, I pretend that I am, and I present them a, a gift of chocolate. <laughs> well, it's very nice of you to continue. <laughs> so when did you start in the candy business, Rio? When I was 16, I took a part-time job after school at Olin Brown Candies on Wellington Street. And then when I was 18, finished school, I really liked the candy business and decided I'd stay on. And my long-range thinking was that uh, we had four good seasons a year, being Christmas, Easter, Valentine's, and the summertime. So I would be employed 52 weeks of the year, which was good. And also that Mr. Brown was 40 years older than me, didn't have any family, I would maybe be the heir apparent to take over his store. And that was the start of me in 1959 in the candy business. Back in the day, every town and city would have a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, and even a candy maker. So candies were always part of most communities, were they not? Yes, they were. Just about every community had a small type of a candy shop. And it was quite apparent with Greek immigrants that they always either had a restaurant, a soda fountain, and they always made some candy. So is Stratford unique, or it was just because we became a tourist town in the 1950s that it, that it became more popular? Because tourists love buying candies, don't they? They do, yes. Uh, prior to the festival being here, 
we had uh, Rankin's candy shop up on Ontario Street, and we had Olin Brown's. That was the only two we had. Now, what did you learn, like, uh, when you were going into the candy business? You had other career options or choices. Uh, what were your, uh, what was you, what were you deciding between? I was fortunate that I was focused in. I took commercial at school. Didn't think I ever wanted to work in an office, and. At that time, working after school, I really enjoyed the candy business, so I thought, I'll make it my career because people will always eat candy. And did you eat a lot of candy yourself? I did. How are your teeth? Uh, quite well. My wife has a saying that if I come home bald or with false teeth, I'm out the door, so I take care of my teeth. What did you learn from Olin Brown about the art of making candies? And we're not talking just... Uh, sugar candies. We're talking chocolates as well, right? Right. Well, we're considered what you'd call a full-time candy maker. That means that uh, you'd make brittles, hard candy, jellies, cream centers, and caramels. And then you would also dip nuts, fruit, and the fruit you would uh, candy that yourself with orange peel, lemon slices, apricots, and I learned how to do all that. And the other nice thing about when I was learning the candy business, uh, there was a lot of elderly people who had gone through making candy, and they worked with their hands and had small pieces of equipment. So we were able to, when we started our business in the basement of our home, I was able to employ all those skills that I'd learned by hand, where today most people would start off using big equipment. How did you decide to start your own business after the Olin Brown experience? Well, when Olin Brown sold out, I said to myself, I learned to make candy to better myself, not anyone else, so I left. And then my wife and I thought we'd like to try and start a candy business, but we found out in a big hurry that it didn't matter how great a candy maker you were, if you haven't got the money, you don't get started. So I did odd jobs from we'll say May 1969 till early November. And then my wife and I said, maybe we should try making candy at age 25 rather than wait till we're 50 and say, I wish I would. And at that time, there was very few places in Canada that you could ever buy used candy equipment. Now my brother, he was living in Boston and there was a used candy equipment company there. I phoned him, he sent me a stove, some candy cutting equipment, some small tools, and a candy stove. And we thought, we'll try this, and we'll do this in the basement of our home at 32 Glastonbury Drive. And then my wife's brother-in-law, he was very handy. He came over and hooked up the uh, hooked up the gas stove. I had a friend from Chris Craft. He managed to make me a, a water-cooled table. And then we thought, where else would we sell this candy? Where would we start? Well, we looked out the door and said, there's the farmer's market behind our house. Let's go over there and set a booth up. We went over there. We rented a booth on Saturday, December the 6th, 1969, three foot by three foot, 50 cents. At the end of the day, we'd sold all our candy. Next week, we doubled our size, and we were selling just fudge and peanut brittle. And then there was another lady that worked with us at Olden Brown's who had left. She lived down the street, and people were asking us about uh, selling raisin clusters and chocolate, peanut clusters, coconut clusters. And she said, you know, I could dip some chocolates at my house. Now, she's just down three blocks. So we said, well, we'll do that. So the next week, we, rented, we doubled the size, 
and had six feet by three feet at a cost of a dollar. And we had the chocolate supply, and that was how that started. Was Olin Brown still in business? He'd sold to somebody else? They had sold to someone else, but unfortunately, they didn't have a candy maker. So they fluttered around for another two years, and finally, it, they closed the doors. And then in December of 1969, we were at a cocktail party. We met a fellow named John Sinkler, who was just opening up his new drugstore after he had a fire. And he said to Sally and I, would you two, he called us kids, consider coming into our place to sell some candy. He said, I have uh, the display counters, everything on the main floor. I have a thousand square feet in the basement that you could use for manufacturing. Think it over. Well, we didn't think too long. He phoned us back and said, what do you think? And we said, we don't think we could afford it. He said, no, wait a minute. You didn't hear the rest of my story. He said, what I'm going to do is supply you with uh, heat, hydro, showcases, and all you have to do is pay me a percentage of your sales. That'll get you off to a good start. And we said, we'll do it. And we signed a 10-month lease, figuring that we didn't know how we would get along under one roof with a drugstore. After five months, we're running out of room. <laughs> Sinclair Pharmacy is running out of room. So sometime in November, I walk around the downtown area thinking where we're going to set up a shop. And I went over to... Brunswick Street, and there was Onverts Wholesale, was a vacant building up for, up for lease. So I went and spoke to Mr. Odbert. We liked the building. It was 40 feet by 40 feet square, dry, high basement, and 60 feet of parking out the back, should we ever wish to expand, which we thought we never would. What year was that, Rio? It was 1970, and we went in there in January of 1971. Wow. And what did you witness over the next uh, 30 years of uh, running the business? Did it exceed your wildest expectations? And, and what transpired during those three decades? Well, we never, sitting here today, we never thought we would be in the position we are in today when we started uh, with very humble beginnings of, uh, say, 300 square feet in the basement of our home, ending up with uh, 12,000 square feet of building. We experienced a lot of things in our life. We met a lot of wonderful people. And we also felt that if you take something from the system, you should put something back in, which we tried to do around the city by helping young kids in sports, uh, nonprofit organizations looking for handouts. Or that was That was good. What was the favorite candies that you uh, enjoyed making, and what do you think uh, customer tastes, how they changed over those three decades? Well, I like to make all the candy, and mint smoothies became the most popular thing, and the reason for that was it seems that if I went to the bank, I always took a sample. If I went to pay my hydro bill, bell telephone bill, I always took some mint smoothies. And then if we sponsored a, we'll say a girls' ball team, and at the end of the year, we got all their names and we would take them the mint smoothies. So they became the most popular thing that we made. And when I worked at Brown's, we might have made 200 pounds a year. Where the last time I was at the candy shop, we'd made 55,000 pounds. So that was quite an increase in production of mint smoothies. But aside from that, I liked making all the other candy. It was because of the variety. It was it was just fun to be around roasting can or making candy or roasting nuts. And then it seemed that everybody that came in the store, they always left with a smile. 
where when we were on Brunswick Street, we were next to the dentist's office. And if you stood across the street, people coming out of the dentist's office, it was either the pain of the drill or the pain of the bill. And they never looked happy. But coming out of our store, they were tearing into their box, eating their product. And everybody got a kick out of the dentist and the candy maker beside each other. Can you tell us in general terms what the process is for making candy and, and the ingredients that go into it? Well, most candy is made with sugar, corn syrup, <clears throat> and then the other ingredients would be cream if you're making, uh, we'll say, a, a buttercream center. Uh, whipping cream is used too. We use a lot of that is used in, in, in uh, making caramels. And then we have the other additives such as uh, nuts. Uh, what else is there? Uh, the hard centers, the hard uh, centered candy. Hard the, center, that, that's yeah. hard candy. Is it like making maple syrup? Maple syrup, so it gets evaporated process? What's the process for that? It, maple syrup is, uh, it's a very, very liquid, and then it's reduced down through uh, boiling. Where the candy business, through the same boiling, if you cook up to 240 degrees, that's a soft cream. Uh, 260 degrees is a bit chewy, and 300 degrees is, is what they call hard candy. Right. And so you must know the secret of getting the caramel into the caramel bar then. Uh, I do. I do. Is it a two-layered process? Oh, it? it's uh, what they call uh, concentric nozzles. You have the caramel is at the same temperature as the chocolate, and it's distributed, and one, one's deposited, and the other follows in behind, and then it's pinched off. That's the secret for that one. Creating a layer. That's a valuable secret because it was part of one of their advertising gimmicks back in the 70s and 80s. We won't tell you how we got the caramel into the caramel bar. Um, it's also put uh, Stratford on the map. We now have, what, four candy shops in Stratford. Uh, is that because it's such a popular item for, for tourists to come away from Stratford? I, I believe a lot of people that started the candy shop, such as uh, Rocky Road. I was involved with the Rocky fellow, Mountain. Rocky Mountain, yeah. the fellow that started that in 1999. He said the reason he came to Stratford was because of uh, what he read about tourism in the province of Ontario. And he found that Stratford had over half a million tourists coming. It would be a good place to start a candy shop. He started in 1999, and they're still here. And then there's a little girl over on York Street. She's a fr friend of mine. She specialized in just making peanut brittle, and now they're selling ice cream. But she started sometime in the... Uh, That's Jen and Larry's. Jen and Larry's, yeah. yeah. And there's a candy shop on the York Street as well that's bringing candy in from from Europe and uh, pre-made candy. They're not uh, making it locally, but they're bringing imported candy from different countries. Yes, they are. And then we have the other chocolate shop, uh, chocolate bars as well. Yeah. So a visit to Stratford isn't complete without doing the, the rounds of the, the candy shops. Well, well, they have the advertising out now, the chocolate trail. So I guess that takes in all of the candy shops. How does it feel to be one of the pioneers of that, uh, of that in Stratford? Well, it feels good, but uh, I try not to let it go to my head that uh, I still like to be as humble as I can to people. Yeah. But chocolate's been very, very good to you. Very good, yes. No complaints at all. And is it st uh, does chocolate still run in the family, uh, no pun intended? Uh, yes, it does. Our, our daughter, she and her husband opened a candy shop in Toronto, uh, and, but they just have a manufacturing place and they do most of their sales through the internet. What about the supply of uh, the the raw materials? Is, has that become a challenge in, in in today's world? Because the cocoa comes from 
uh, other countries, obviously. Yeah, the main cocoa beans come from West Africa, and they are growing more now over in uh, South America. But we never had any trouble getting supplies for chocolate. And the other nice thing about making your own product is you control your destiny, which I liked. And so... Let's talk about your family roots. So both uh, my family, the Thompsons, and your family come from Northern Ireland at some point, but our, our paths uh, diverged wild, wildly. We came around the, uh, the same time. My family settled elsewhere in Ontario, but yours uh, came to the Stratford area. My father, was he was a school teacher, and he started off in St. Mary's and ended up in Port Arthur, and then because my mother was from Northeast Hope, they decided that they better come back to Stratford in 1948, and that's how we arrived here from Port Arthur, Ontario, and been here ever since. But tell me about your uh, the branch of the family from St. Mary's that were involved in uh, prohibition uh, activities. Well, that was my my grandmother was from St. Mary's, and she had two sisters, and she had a brother, and he was a First World War veteran, and. When he, the war was over, he decided he would do painting, and then he also took up, uh, if you call it that, bootlegging. And the story was that in 1931, my father had bicycled up from Toronto, gets to my grandfather, my great uncle's place, and they're selling their alcohol at night, and the police arrive, pick the two of them up, put them in jail, and then to be bailed out, they had to phone my grandmother, or grandmother and grandfather in Toronto to get the cash to get them out of jail. So that was a little bit of history of St. Mary's. And what other sort of great family stories do you have about your connection to Stratford since the 1940s? Obviously, a lot of things have happened over the last 80 years. Uh, can you uh, elaborate on that? I don't think I have too many stories to tell about that. Uh, I do remember in the candy business that we had a fellow come up from the Hamilton Spectator saying that uh, he was here not mainly for the Shakespearean Festival, but for the candy shop where he was in there buying. When the the festival was in its uh, infancy, and I guess growing through the 60s and 70s, what did you notice about the, uh, the people coming into Stratford and how uh, tourism was growing? Well, we noticed that there were, I'll use the term, a very classy type of person coming in, always well-dressed, well-mannered, and... They just seemed to love coming to Stratford, and they were well-received when they came here. We had a nice park system. At, at that time, we had a the fire hall was downtown. You'd see the, the firemen. They were very polite, popular with the, the tourists. Same with our police department. We had officers on the street, and they were very helpful. And all the merchants downtown, too, they really enjoyed uh, the tourism aspect. How have you sort of witnessed the transformation of Stratford? I'm, I moved to Stratford in the late 1960s, and I think you could count the number of restaurants and, uh, and hotels on, on two hands. There really weren't very many. And now look at the plethora of all sorts of experiences in Stratford. Well, we notice a big increase in the restaurants, and that has to do a lot with uh, the chef school that's in Stratford. That, that's helped out quite a bit. Uh, hotels, motels... We haven't seen a great deal of them, but we have noticed an awful lot more Airbnbs and bed and breakfast places, which is good. Tell us a bit more about the chocolate trail. Have you been on the chocolate trail yourself? What does it involve? How do you go on the trail? Well, you just kind of walk in the door and 
have a look around. If you, if you get the right clerk, you could say, I'm on the chocolate trail. They'll give you a sample. And then you go to the next store to see how that works out. And you do the comparison yourself, eating this person's product and the other person's product, and then draw your own conclusions, what you think is the best. Now, your name will always be synonymous with chocolate. How does that make make you feel? Because your name will will live on. It's uh, it's something that will well, it's, be. It's rather rewarding to think that you started with nothing in the back of a or in the basement of a house, and here you are today. That your your name's well known. Just quite a ways away. It's a it's a, a main export uh, of Stratford, isn't it? And do you yourself enjoy chocolate, or how much do you partake? I, I still like chocolate. In fact, the other day we had some uh, Easter bunnies left over, so I remelted them, went and bought some roasted almonds and made some almond bark, which I have at home today, which I'll probably eat by the rest of the week. Good. Well, Rio Thompson, it's been great to uh, speak to you and learn a little bit about the, the history of how you got involved in the candy-making business. So thanks for stopping by. Well, thank you very much for having me. The Stratford Slice is produced using Anchor, Spotify's free podcasting platform, the easiest way to create, distribute, and monetize your show. Say it all with Anchor. This podcast is produced by Ran Entertainment, Southwestern Ontario's number one film, television, and digital media studio, illuminating extraordinary stories since 1995. Visit us at ballinran.com. The Stratford Slice is sponsored in part by Dancing Waters Boutique, treasures from Asia in the heart of downtown Stratford. Visit them at 11 York Street or dancingwatersboutique.com. And a special shout-out to Vista Radio and our friends at mystratfordnow.com for hosting the podcast, which is also available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And be sure to follow us on Instagram, at the Stratford Slice. Our Stratford Slice team includes technical coordinator Matt Kropp, content coordinator Aiden Boyle, social media and communications Kismet Bond, and our graphic designer Deanna Aguilar. My name is Craig Thompson. Thanks for spending this time with me.